This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PNP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are changing those things in the industry. My name is Donnie Shelton, as always, owner of Triangle Home Services, which owns Triangle Pest and Triangle Long, as well as the CEO of Quilmarch, a digital marketing sales services company that focuses on pest and lawn. And with me, as always, is my esteemed, esteemed colleague, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello? Hello, everyone. It's uh, Dan Gordon, as you know, PCO bookkeepers, PCO M&A specialists, and uh, we focus on outsource CFO services as well as exit planning for uh, those in the pest control industry. And uh, uh, today we're talking about how to get top dollar when you sell your pest control company. Um, as always, if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or however you consume this broadcast. And uh, today's guest is Brian Schoenmaker, a former owner of Capital Pest in Beltsville, Maryland. And I say former owner uh, because he was recently acquired or Capital was recently acquired by American Pest, which is an anti-CMEX company. Uh, Brian is someone I began working with uh, almost a year ago and is clearly a, a great student of the industry of how to build and execute a great sales and marketing strategy and ultimately how to exit on his own terms. Uh, Brian's built a, or built that company with over 8,000 customers and 52 employees. His gross margins were at the top end of best in class uh, company range with his EBITDA and growth rate just as impressive. So it's my pleasure to introduce a friend, a client and an all around good guy. Brian, welcome. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on the podcast. It's definitely an honor since I've been listening to your podcast since its inception last year. So Excellent. thanks again. Yeah. No, awesome. well, yeah, I was going to say, Brian, congratulations. And, and I will tell you, I mean, I think everyone who's listening really should be listening up. I mean, at the end of the day, this is kind of the goal, right? Is, is everyone, like it or not, everyone has to think about an exit strategy and uh, and it's going to be an event. And so the best thing that to, to do is prepare for it. And 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 you have quite the story. You, you I, I think you did it quite well. And I think a lot of our listeners can learn from your experience. Um, so so and I also think yeah, I also think that um, uh, you know we're obviously not going to um, give out uh, numbers. But Brian exited for one of the highest multiples that we know of in the industry, and it's all due to his preparation and. Um, uh, his ability to to grow the business. So uh, as Donnie said, listen up if you're looking, uh, you know, at some point to exit. But uh, hey, Brian, you took a really roundabout way of getting into the industry. So tell us how you found yourself in the industry and ultimately growing a pest control company. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and I guess it was really a roundabout way. Um, after college, I kind of got into the retail management industry. And I worked for companies like Macy's, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, and finally ended up at Brooks Brothers. And it's kind of funny how it all happened because, you know, didn't really ever think I was going to end up here, of course. Um, but Matt Nixon and I ended up, Matt Nixon from American Pest and I ended up on a golf trip together. And we spent a week together down in Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, and 
got to talking about family and work and goals and things like that. And one thing led to another and he tried to recruit me to come to American Pest. Um, I considered it for a bit because I was kind of tired of working nights, weekends, holidays, being away from my family, etc. But honestly, the the money wasn't there. I, I would have had to take a pretty significant pay cut to get started in a new industry. And I just couldn't do it. Um, that same month, later that same month, my son was born, who's now 18. And um, just, you know, my wife and I had decided that she was going to stay home with him for two years. And so we couldn't make that decision to take that pay cut to uh, start a new career. So time goes on. That was uh, September of 2003. And by September of 2004, I was back on another golf trip with uh, with Matt and the same group of guys. And one thing led They're to like another. WTF. They're like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we had a great time together, great group of guys uh, golfing and hanging out together for a week. But um, the same story came up and I'd seen Matt a couple of times in between the two golf trips, but we really spent a lot of time talking again on that golf trip. And the very next month after coming back from that golf trip, um, I, you know, successfully completed a year running the store at Brooks brothers and we had broken sales records, 35% growth, all kinds of stuff. And, um, what I got for it was a typical corporate increase in my pay. You know, it was like 3% or something like that. So that didn't sit a little, you know, very well with me. So I called Matt up and I was like, Matt, maybe it's time, you know, maybe it's time for me to take a leap of faith on myself and, and on you and, and the company and your vision. And, and, um, we decided to, to get the ball rolling. So I gave Brooks brothers several months notice just to get them through the Christmas season. And I started at American pest on, uh, December 27th, 2004. Well, so you didn't lose much time after Christmas. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I told him I'd get him through the busiest day of the year, which is the 26th. It's the day after yeah. Christmas. Everybody comes back and returns things, uses their gift cards, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I committed to get him through the busiest time and, and that was that. So, um, so I started with American and they, you know, Matt put me into residential and commercial sales, and I was in charge of the uh, Northern Virginia area and Montgomery County, Maryland to start. And I think Northern Virginia had like 40 residential customers when I started there, and uh, Montgomery County, maybe a couple of hundred. So the goal, of course, was to start growing the business and and learn the business. And that whole first year, I probably drove everybody crazy, especially uh, Jay Nixon and Wayne White, um, you know, the technical directors and asking them questions and trying to learn all about the pest control industry and the different pests and how to control them, and et cetera. So I was really digging in to learn the business and um, we did pretty well that year. So Matt promoted me to director of business development after about a year. Um, and we started hiring more sales reps and, you know, ended up with, I think seven after, after that process. And then we just took the growth to the next level for American pest. Um, 
couple years later, I was also put in charge of marketing and customer service department. So ended up uh, running basically the whole growth side of the business for a while. Um, during my time there, I probably drove everybody nuts because I really don't like to sit still. And so I was always coming up with different ways to grow the company, to make it more profitable, streamline processes, you know, all of those kind of things. And, um, you know, so we went through some record growth years and had a great time there. It's a great company. Uh, but in May of 2010, I decided that it was time to leave. And so I tried to become an energy broker and I latched onto a company out of Texas. And um, they were supposed to be operational uh, at the end of May in Maryland. And that didn't happen. There was some kind of a snag. So June rolled around and it still didn't happen. Uh, July rolled around and it still didn't happen. So fast forward to September, Still, I still wasn't operational, and at that point, uh, financially, I just couldn't, I couldn't hold on any longer. I had to get back into doing something. And so, first and foremost, what I did was I actually contacted like Residex and Univar and some of the vendors for the pescano industry to see if I could work for one of them. And there weren't any positions available, um, so I ended up sending my resume out and. What I did was I put my resume out with an objective of trying to find a company that I could become a partner in, not just an employee of, um, and help that company grow. Um, and I got lucky. I mean, my story has a lot of luck involved in it. And I had two people respond to my resume. One company um wanted me to come on board and, and do something different than what I had done, which was take over the operations of the company. So I would have a chance to learn accounts receivable, accounts payable, payroll, HR, you know, the whole nuts and bolts of, of the inside of the company. And the other person that contacted me was Julio Gonzalez from Capital Beltway Termite and Pest Control. That was the name of the company back then. Um, and this is where I really got lucky because Julio remembered me from the previous year in December. I had gone to the Maryland State Pest Control Association annual meeting and he was on the board. So he remembered me from the, coming to that meeting and wanting to get involved in the association. And he contacted me because um, he was a few years away from wanting to retire and his partner that owned 25% of the business. Um, was ready to retire in about a year. And so he was looking for a successor um, and thought of me. So. Wow. Yeah. That is, I just got, that is pretty lucky. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so I met, I met with both people and um, Julio and I hit it off from the beginning and he's a great guy. I love him to death. Um, and uh, he basically wasn't ready for me to come on board there yet because uh, Roger Coquinos, who was his partner, wasn't ready to retire yet. So I took the job with the other company, and I'm glad that I did because it was a good company, um, and I learned a lot. 
I got to learn the other side of the business. I got to learn QuickBooks from the ground up. I mean, I had taken accounting classes in college, but I'd never had to put them in practice. I'd never had to run QuickBooks. I never had to do accounts payable, accounts receivable. I never had to do the, the HR stuff. So it was good for me to learn that because I think at that point, it really prepared me for running the company. And so after a year there, I went and I joined Julio and I took over the day-to-day operations immediately. And the deal that Julio and I had uh, essentially was that I'd come in and and learn the business, take over the day-to-day, and he would uh, uh, kind of semi-retire and, and start basically doing what he loved, which was uh, WDI inspections and working with the realtors. And um, my sweat equity would be the growth of the company. So from the point that I came in, the growth of the company was mine and I could keep it. And in exchange, I would start making payments to him one day when he was ready to retire in an, for an amount probably about twice of what the company was worth back then. So it was a win-win. And um, that's what happened. And after... At the end of the year 2015, I took over as president in December of 2015, uh, and here we are. We we grew from one million back then to uh, 6.6 that we just crossed. So, you, you um, know what's uh, interesting, Brian, is um, we you know I get a lot of people who call me and say, "Geez, uh, the market's great. I don't know, but but I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to sell. Wouldn't it be great if I could bring in like this?" this great guy who knows how to do everything and he could become my partner, we could grow it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that as opposed to selling it to somebody. But the problem is finding that great guy. So yeah, it was lucky for Julio, but it was also lucky for you. It's really interesting. Um, So uh, yeah, you know, I I get that question all the time. And I was going to say too, you know, when you, okay, so let's just, let's just summarize here. We're at Brooks Brothers. We're on a golfing trip. We decide to get into the industry. <laughs> We're like an, uh, a brand new guy selling, eventually, you know, moving up through that company and then ultimately trying something different that didn't work, which, by the way, I'm painting a picture here for our listeners because this is always the case, right? It, it never is a straight line to success, right? <laughs> It's always it's very true. So yeah, so you know, so we're we're backing off here. We we tried this other thing in, in gas and oil, it sounds like. And then you find this just crazy opportunity that wasn't even ready yet. Uh, so spend another year at a different company to come over to that. And then eventually, congratulations, you're now a pest control company owner. <laughs> just a crazy in story. a crawl space in a yeah. Brooks brother suit. Yeah. And, and yeah. I probably missed one of the biggest parts of that story, actually. So going back to getting into the business to begin with my wife and I, as I said, decided that my wife was going to stay home with my uh, son for two years. And so we had to go into debt to do that. And in order to get in the business, I had to take a significant pay cut and go further into debt. So I owe a lot to her for believing in me to make this decision as well. It wouldn't have happened if she had said to me that we just can't do it. We can't take that risk and et cetera. So, um, I have the best wife in the world, and um, you know, I would not be here without her sacrifices as well. Yeah, well, that's a good story. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, a great story. story. 
And 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 I hope you have your wife listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> At least to that sentence anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now let's let's fast forward. So so that's the story, that's the backdrop, which is an amazing story. And let's come to this point. So you've recently sold the company uh, and, and you sold it to Antisemex, right? And then let's just talk about what drove that decision and why now. Well, they're, they're just really just two reasons. Um, number one was now was the right time for me and my family. Um, I needed to step away from myself and my family, really. Um, you know, I mean, it's been a long road for me um professionally i i uh i have ocd so letting go of the business is hard for me to do and so when i was working i wanted to be home and when i was home i felt like i needed to work and so it was tough on me and it was tough on my family so for that reason uh it was time you know and and the second and probably most importantly was the value of the company was where it needed to be for me to be able to do that and um so that those are the two reasons that I decided to sell. Why now? Uh, it was actually by accident. Um, I called Dan in November or early December of last year, um, and Dan and I got to know a little, a, each other a little bit about a year ago, because um, or more than a year ago. Now um, I had considered bringing his company on as you know part-time CFO. And so Dan and I had some long discussions back then, and I just decided that it wasn't time yet for that. But I got to know him a little bit and respected him. So when the runoffs were going to happen in Georgia and Biden's tax law was going to come into play, I was concerned that the market would change. I was concerned that it would drive the pricing down um, and some things would change there. So, And I was concerned about the you know, the capital gains tax doubling as well. So I called Dan to find out what his advice was and what he thought about all of that. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I think what you said basically was that was the least of my worries um, and that some of the, some bigger things were in play, uh, things like anti-Semex possibly going public and what that would do to the market temporarily, um, you know, and, and some other things. Um, but during that conversation, Dan asked me, you know, what was I holding on for? What what number was I trying to reach? And I told him the number that I was holding on for because I had probably three more years in my head that I needed to stay in the business for. And I gave him our numbers. We talked about the business. I told him what my numbers were because I had been tracking our EBITDA numbers and, and our growth numbers and everything, of course. And um, he said to me, what would you say if I told you that I could, I think I could get you that number right now? And I said, I think I would kiss you, Dan. <laughs> so, hey, by the way, this happened? Because, I mean, I don't, if that needs to This was a phone call with Brian and I and his wife. Um, well, you know, and uh, that's yep. that exactly what happened. And by the way, if any listeners out there, I hear Dan's going to have a kissing booth at Pest World. So come on oh, out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, we're going to have a blackjack table. So uh, come on out and 
but uh, <laughs> well, right, you, you the numbers right. you ended up getting me in the end. I'm sure you'd be happy to kiss this guy. <laughs> so, so, so take us through the anatomy of a sale. Uh, emphasize the issues that came up, the emotions that you felt. How, how as a team we dealt with those issues in order to get the deal done. Um, one of the things that I always talk about when I have a client and I get an offer and they like it and they say, all right, let's go. And I say, okay, it's not over. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get nice. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get nice. I've never seen it nice right through the end. Um, it, that's just part of what happens, but, but tell us, uh, you know, uh, what you, um, actually, you know, some of those issues and how we resolve them. Sure. I mean, um, first I'll walk through the anatomy, I guess, for everybody who doesn't know how a sale really goes um, or what to expect. Because I, I didn't really know 100% what to expect, of course. And so I think that's interesting. Um, so first, the first thing when I decided to sell is we worked on a game plan together. We set sales and profit goals um, in order for the company to reach, to be ready to go to market. And so we were well on track to reach those goals by the spring of this year um, with our growth rates and our profit, you know, where it was at that point. So we had set a date to go to market, uh, I think originally in April, but um, then I got cold feet for about two months. I was kind of thinking about, can I hold on to the business? Should I hold on to the business, et cetera? And so we ended up going to market, I think in June, right, Dan? Yeah. Um, so I delayed it for a couple months, but um, but that was the first step was setting the goals of, and figuring out when to go to market. Um, and then you guys dug into QuickBooks and getting the numbers right with PESPAC and tax returns and tying the, all the numbers together, making sure everything matched and everything was going to go through the due diligence period um, perfectly fine and got all the numbers together. Um, and I was happy to send you guys the banking statements and credit card statements and all the other items that, um, and and have them put together for me to review instead of me having to do all of that myself. So that's certainly something that you guys do differently than other um, other M and A specialists that I'm aware of, at least. Um, developing the presentation book uh, is the next step. The you know, putting together things like the company history, um, the bios of the management team, services offered, geographical coverage, and route density, which was huge for us in the end, our route density. Uh, financial review, uh, recurring revenue numbers and percentages, which is important, the profit and loss summary, the schedule of expenses, schedule of adjustments, vehicle list, and anything else necessary to demonstrate exactly who we are and what our company has done um so in the end this book is 30 40 50 pages I, I forget what it was but it really demonstrated exactly who the company is to any potential bidders on the company and, and i think this is an important point that you're making because you know if folks are out there um if you're considering this decision like when is it time and what's the process and what should i do if you're approached by someone, they're kind of driving the narrative. I mean, you absolutely, we had, we had Michael Gerber on our previous podcast. And, you know, one of the points he makes is that, you know, your business is the product. 
not the business itself. The product's not the product. And so the fact that you went through the process, you know, with Dan and, and you know, you cleaned everything up. I mean, it's essentially making it, you know, it is absolutely a product that, you know, if you're approached by someone else, you may not get that opportunity and it may not show and you may not get the valuation that the business deserves. And so I just sure. think this is a key part of, of the process, right, is to really understand, like, look, this this may take me a few months, but I really need to go through the work and the effort. And if someone comes up and says, hey, look, we will, you know, we will give you X dollars. Well, there may be some value left on the table and, and I would not do that. So you, you are 100 percent right. And it actually just leads right into the challenges. So uh, the next part, the next thing I was going to talk about, actually, uh, I've always known my numbers and have looked at monthly reports for years. Um, so when we started going through the numbers together and Dan with his unique you know, background in, in accounting and, and his unique knowledge of PESPAC and QuickBooks and everything, you know, came into play. And in exactly what you're talking about, Donnie, um, PESPAC, the PESPAC business valuation report was off by more than $500,000 in recurring revenue when we ran it. And I knew it right away because I looked at our numbers every single month, our recurring revenue numbers, our growth numbers, et cetera. I looked at other hang reports. On, hang on. I, I just want everyone to process what you just said. $500,000. Yep. Okay, so let's just let's just do some quick math here. 500 times three is what? Three or three and a half or whatever, but absolutely, yeah. that's that's exactly what you're talking about. A load of money. Huge. Is. A lot of money. Dollars, okay. Yeah. And the recurring <laughs> revenue was that. worth more multiple by far than the one time. So it could even be well more than three. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I reckon I was lucky enough that I knew my numbers enough to know that that report was wrong. And Dan and I figured out why it was wrong. It turned out that. Um, that our renewals had an expiration date in them. So for whatever reason, in PESPAC, the business valuation report does not show the renewals as far as the future projection of the next 12 months of recurring revenue, if it has an expiration date, even if that expiration date is somewhere in the future and it hasn't happened yet. So we learned that lesson together and fixed that. and. Who knows how much, like you said, Donnie, who knows how much that uh, that saved us. And, and, and this is the point. I was going to say, the point here is, is get, get your crap cleaned up and organized. And if you go to market or if you want to go to market, I think just, and by the way, this, I almost want to think that Dan should give me a 20 for saying this, maybe even more. But you need to work with someone who understands how to get a set of clean books and present. Because the fact is, is that a, a traditional broker may have not done that kind of due diligence personally and had taken it to market. You know what I mean? Yep. And then later on, after the deal's done, everyone discovers like, oh, well, we got a really great deal. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the unique one of the unique things is that we understand the routing software because we're in it all day, every day with our accounting clients. I own yeah. a pest control company, that kind of thing. Uh, if I just asked you for the reports, you would have given them to me and I would have prepared my uh, um, you know, my, my, my document based on that. And we could have, you know, lost a million and a half dollars or whatever that number is. But yeah, it's really important that somebody knows how to delve into uh, PestPack or Pest Routes or Service Suite or whatever program you're using. And, you know, we've got over 
almost 400 pest control clients. So we're using every software out there and, and we know it pretty well, but uh, you know, that's, that, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So after all that, we were finally ready to go to the go to market and Dan sent out the presentation book and confidentiality agreements to start the bidding process. And ultimately, in the end, uh, we sent out to many firms. Uh, there were venture capital firms. There was all the big firms, et cetera. And the anti-Simex uh, was the winner and signed the letter That's of intent with them. Yeah. So it's, uh, you almost feel like you're at the fair. We have a winner. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, so then came due diligence, which is the biggest pain in the butt period of the whole process, but uh, but well worth it in the end. So um, so during due diligence, we did a deep dive into our financials, and they had lots of questions for us, and we answered all those questions. We got the additional materials that they requested, etc. Uh, at one point, uh, I met with American Pest Management Team, Dan and Stephen. Uh, and for those who don't know Stephen, he, he was in charge of the process. He works with Dan. And um, so we kicked off the operations part of due diligence with during that meeting. And we dove into every aspect of the business. Uh, things like mark, our marketing practices, HR practices, services offered products used, field processes for different services, service codes and pest pack, all vehicles. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking about our employees. So each employee talked about their strengths or weaknesses, their position, what their role is. And they were really committed, and I was really impressed with their management team. Um, they were really committed to making sure that the transition was great for the employees. Um, or as as good as it could be, and I was also impressed with the love and respect that I felt in the room from their management team for each other. Um, so at that time, I went back to my office excited because I knew that I had picked the right company. That's uh, that, that's terrific, and but but also during that due diligence, that's that love hate thing, right? Where the emotions are, you know, it it yep. gets really pretty crazy, and then uh, you get attorneys involved, and even you know, doesn't matter whether it's your attorney or their attorney, it just uh, uh, some of that love wanes. <laughs> and yeah, then, but I was going, yeah, and I was going to say, Brian, the thing I've seen multiple times with this, and by the way, obviously Dan has way more experience in this area than I do, but I've 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 played in this area just a little bit. It's really important that the buyer and the seller keep a really great relationship because if you turn it over to the attorneys and stay kind of at you know at at a distance, they will absolutely run the deal into the ground and start sparring. And so I just think it's really critical. I mean, what you just said about you felt really good and felt a lot of respect from your team. I think that's that's the fundamental thing that makes most deals work because it's left to their own devices in the past. And I'm not an attorney hater, not by any means. It's just, they yes, get into these extremes and they, yeah, <laughs> and they get it, you know, they get off on these tangents and the next thing, and then yeah. and, and everyone starts getting pissed off over presupposed things yeah. that would probably be taken care of literally with a phone call. So, yeah. Um, yep. I mean, there were bumps along the road for sure. Um, you know, but Dan and Steven had my back every step of the way and took a lot of the stress off my plate. Uh, since they ran the due diligence period for me. So, um, you know, it all worked out in the end, and I had a great lawyer. Um, 
actually he's been on your podcast, Mark Ruff, uh, yeah. in Florida. So he uh, he handled the negotiations with anti-Semex as lawyers and did an incredible job of getting the language in the agreement and terms to be exactly what we wanted. So, um, you know, we had those so bumps. Have- you're 100% right. There were a few times where I got um, – Got a hold of uh, Mike Schmidt over American Pest, and we worked some things out between the two of us. So, um, yeah. you know, definitely you're, you're right there, Donnie, as well, as far as, um, you know, I guess circumventing the lawyers, so to speak. So I have another question for you. Um, you know, when you, I mean, was this the first time you thought about selling the company? And, you know, if it was like, you know, oh, well, this is the first time I had this idea or would, would or had you tried it before or like what? You know, I'm, I don't know if you've ever had that thought, you know, before this transaction had happened, but like what if you did, then why didn't you do it then? And then what was different this time? Yeah, well, I, I did. I mean, I went I actually went to market beginning of 2019. Um, and uh, why this time, not then were, you know, just a few things. I mean, the numbers were higher, um, of course, now than they were then. And they were actually higher in the end than the number I had in my head. Um, so I was good there. And I had made peace with selling the company and retiring. Um, the other things were I found the right partner for my employees to continue to grow and succeed, uh, which was a major concern. I mean, that was one of the reasons that I didn't do it the last time, actually, because our, our profit numbers were not anywhere near where they needed to be. And I actually learned a lot through that process because of that. Um, but lastly, I mean, the four owners of the company, I mean, it's myself and my wife as the majority owners, but I also had my father-in-law and mother-in-law as a uh, small percentage owners of the company, and they were ready to retire as well. So it was the right time. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, and then, you know, and so really, I, it sounds like, and again, I don't want to, uh, I'm just feeling, you know, Dan, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a big head here by saying this, and everyone knows on this podcast that I I obviously respect Dan, but I also love giving him a hard time. Um, so it's a my mutual question, love, a mutual. It's a mutual love, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Remember, free kisses, pest world, PCO booth. Anyway, moving on. So my question for you, Brian, is so it sounds like to me, if I'm reading between the lines here, you. You had thought about this. Did you use any other brokers before when you went through this process? I mean, it, it sounds like when you got with Dan, you guys really got into the data. You really tried to understand what the value is. And it sounds like his team was able to kind of flip it in and find, you know, really turn this around. I mean, had you engaged in anyone in the past? Had they ch- told you to do this? Or like, I guess my question is, is like, what was different about using Dan's team? Uh, if there was anything at all, had you tried to engage in other brokers before? Um, yeah, I had, um, I, and, and I've loved and respected the guy that I used the last time. He was great. Um, but Dan does things differently. Uh, you know, the due diligence thing was the thing that got me I mean, handling the due diligence for me as a part of the process is just, you know, just above and beyond. And, and, uh, and Dan's unique abilities to be able to, looking past back and nobody's looking at and looking quick books and nobody's looking at and dig deeper because in the end we definitely found adjustments to the EBITDA number that we wouldn't have found otherwise. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was huge. 
Uh, two years ago, I mean, in 2019, I learned that growth was not everything and I needed to increase my adjusted EBITDA numbers greatly uh, while still growing. Back then, uh, in 2019, uh, we were at 15.8% adjusted EBITDA in 2018. And so the numbers weren't anywhere near where I wanted them to be back then. And now we were well over 30% in the trailing 12 months when we went to market. So, um, and part of that was found by Dan. There were things um, that I hadn't been tracking that I didn't realize were addbacks. Uh, because I had been looking at my EBITDA ever since 2019 when I learned that lesson. I had started tracking every month and really working on getting my profit numbers up. Because the growth was always there. We'd been growing by an average of 24% for the last 10 years. But um, the EBITDA numbers weren't where they needed to be. So I started tracking a couple of years ago. And Dan helped me find even more. And the rest is history. Well, geez, I, I appreciate all of the, uh, the kumbayas from, on both sides. <laughs> um, you know, so, so it's terrific. It, it was a pleasure working with you, and uh, it was really a great experience and a great outcome. But uh, if if you had, um, you know, I know that you had, had actually went to market uh, three or four years ago, but let's say you didn't. But uh, if you knew that, hey, I got a three-year runway, so like if you have listeners here who have a three to five year runway uh, and you knew that you were going to sell, is there anything that you would have done differently? What what can a, what can our listeners glean from this as, you know, OK, I want to retire in three to five years. What how, how can I make my company better? Because you definitely did. What what are some of those things? Um, well, I mean, there wouldn't be anything that I would do differently myself. Uh, because I, I learned, I mean, I was listening to podcasts and I've always been one to really dig in and learn what I don't know and, and work on things and talk to others in the industry and, and, uh, learn from them and stuff like that. And so I knew after the experience last time, I knew what I had to do. I had the roadmap, what I had to change. And that was the EBITDA numbers. And I dug into it and my management team is awesome. And we did it together. Um, I really wouldn't change anything that we've done over the last couple of years because the results in the end were more than I had hoped for. So, well, so, so this EBITDA earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, what, uh, what did you do? You know, uh, a lot of people, well, it's real easy. Well, I just cut costs. Well, it's not always that easy. You can't just cut labor and whatnot. How did you increase that EBITDA number? Yeah. Great question. Um, Digging into everything. I mean, God, we we went out to market two times, two years in a row, uh, searching for better rates on insurance, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, we tightened down our um, our uh, management of the stockroom, and it turned out that our numbers, you know, we actually went down from year to year, even though our growth was like twenty seven percent. We went down in the amount of money we spent on product usage. Wow. Um, we organized our people more. We, um, I started doing KPIs with our management team, starting to look at productivity more and, um, and tweaking that more. Uh, we were always doing well with routing. We took that to the next level. We, um, we uh, put, a, put someone in place as a customer satisfaction manager uh, to really 
try and save any accounts um, that we're trying to cancel and be more proactive from the start of the sale to make sure that people were uh, happy with the service they were signing up with. So just a few percentage point difference in retention is huge. Uh, we raised prices and I learned a lot. And that was actually, again, something that uh, just learning from the industry, reading back the magazines and listening to other people. There was an article in one of the magazines where somebody, um, instead of doing yearly raises of prices, they did like a 10% all at once, like every 10 years or whatever it is. And uh, or every five years or something, and I was inspired by that. And I was like, we haven't raised our prices in forever since I've been here. We haven't really raised them all. And so uh, we did a 10% raise across the board, and I could not believe the response from our customers. Um, we lost very, very few. I mean, out of the 8,000 customers that you talk about, we lost maybe a hundred. And um, and uh, I got emails directly from customers saying, glad to pay it. You guys are the best and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was, um, it was a lot of different things. We tightened down the screws everywhere that we could and um, still had our growth pattern that we were doing. So we were able to get our combined percentage up close to 60% in the end. So between the growth and the adjusted EBITDA numbers um so, so just for everybody who is uh listening who who wants to increase that value ebitda is very important but the three levers are growth year over year growth recurring to non-recurring ratio and ebitda those three things those three will 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 will, will take you over the finish line and um will will get you a good result um well i was going to say brian this has been Fantastic. I mean, seriously, this has been very, very good. Um, I want to first and foremost, thank you for coming on the podcast. I think folks that are listening, um, it, you know, there's just been a lot of great info here. And, and I'm, I'm going to finish the podcast with where I started, which is everyone who has a business at some point you are going to face this transition. And in and, and much like what you have been saying, and what you said here in this podcast, the earlier you start preparing for that, the better. Even if your timeline is five years or greater, it doesn't really matter. But um, so I think the takeaways that I'm coming away here with is number one, really dig into your numbers and know your numbers. And number two, use someone who knows what the hell they're doing that can understand both the operational side of things, but as well as the, the deal itself. And so uh, I just want to thank you. This has been fantastic. I, I know for me personally, I, I, I took a few notes and there's going to be some things I'm going to look at. <laughs> <laughs> triangle side. So, so thank you very much, Brian. Dan, no, any parting thoughts here before we finish up? Yeah, I just want to congratulate Brian. And uh, by the way, if, if you do all of those things, you're also going to be able to take more money or profit out of the company while you're getting to that end result. So uh, it's, it's, it's a win-win all around, short term and long term. But uh, it was a pleasure working with Brian. Um, it, you know, really smart guy, um, great deal. Um, and um, I think we, you know, as Brian said, I think we exceeded all expectations, mine included, uh, on this deal. And um, so um, can't say enough about it. So uh, congratulations and, and thanks so much for coming on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure.
Yeah. So as a reminder, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast or this episode, I should say not just the podcast, please go out and review us and rate us on um, on Apple, Spotify, or however it is that you listen to podcasts. And don't forget that on the PMPIndustryInsider.com website, we always have show notes for each of our shows. And so we'll link up kind of an outline of our discussion today. And Dan, if you've got some, I don't know if you've got any kind of resources that folks for M&A, but maybe just throw a couple of those up there as well. And with that, we're signing off. Thanks again. We'll see you all next time. Take care now.